1: Comics podcast starring Mark and Remzo Martinez.
3: Things are all new, all different, all uncanny. True believers, welcome back to the Second Print Comics podcast. As always, I am Remzo W. Martinez, bringing to you live. They say that he only comes out at night and that he drinks the blood of goats. But every once in a while, he comes up in the light to read some comics with you. The mysterious, marvelous, mischievous, mighty Mr. Mark Claire. Mark, how goes it? I see the alliteration has returned. That's very exciting. The last time it didn't sound right. It Who just says didn't all feel these
2: right. things, by the way? Who says all these things about the, the, the internet blood and the? Oh yeah, yeah. Once you get out there on the internet, people start investigating your live life and then um, saying weird things that may or may not be true. That we don't need to go into here. That's okay. Are you
3: Bill Hicks? <laughs>
2: Uh, no comment. Because I don't want to lie. Things I just don't got wanna, very yeah, uncomfortable. Tell the truth, either. Anyway, moving on. Um, there there's a lot of exciting news this week that that I'm I'm very excited to share with our, our our fans here. Not only is this the very first Kirby Club produced produced episode, uh, if that weren't enough, this is just a historic episode. This is the very first episode of the Second Print Comics podcast that we are recording. Where little Remzo here is is becoming a, a man. He is now engaged to be wed
3: so congratulations Remzo! all right mazel tov thank you so much i am incredibly excited she said yes because she didn't want to get stuck with the bill for dinner and i was her ride home so things worked out hey whatever whatever works you know that's what I said. Hey, I mean, I just paid my taxes. You know how many different deductions and stuff I could have gotten if we had been married and filed jointly? So, you know, I got on one knee and I, I asked know. her, will you be my dependent? And things worked out from there. Will you be my, will you be my legal uh, tax deferred dependent? Thank you very much.
2: Uh, I'm wondering, is, is the relationship between uh, yourself, your future wife, and your, and your comic collection going to be similar to the, uh, the Jean Grey Cyclops Wolverine trifecta?
3: No. um, in this <laughs> who are you case, going to had... bed with tonight? <laughs> Well, she she understands that it's part of my life, yeah. so she has to accept it, and every once in a while, I will be sleeping with the boxes, <laughs> cuddled up, cozy, right next to me, and that there's always going to be a line item in their monthly budget for me to go ahead and hit up the stores for, quote, work purposes. So, you know, if I wasn't making money off of, you know, the little things here and there to justify it, uh, I'd be a little bit concerned. I think she would be a little bit concerned, but, you know, if you're good at something, maybe... Make sure you can keep the women happy
2: indeed. And uh, if you want to make sure that Remzo is able to keep his woman happy and throw an amazing affair that could only be rivaled by, say, the wedding of uh, Reed and Sue Richards, perhaps, uh, then I would encourage you to head over to the Second Print Comics Patreon. You can find that at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. And we just wrapped up. I say we. You, I didn't do any of the work. You just wrapped up, uh, along with our friend Caleb Franz, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier recap series that was very enjoyable to listen to uh, sometime I would say more enjoyable than the show, depending on the scene, depending on the day. Um, but And, and we're just churning out content. We still have the Remzo rants. Uh, I am doing the Random Marvel Comics podcast. Claire continues where I go through some of the works that further into some of the books that we've looked at here. Uh, so there's just a plethora of content and you can get it all for as little as a measly $5 a month. Is there a better deal in podcasts? I don't think so.
3: But it does get better. I just went ahead and hit up one of my local shops in the area and grabbed a handful of awesome shrink wrapped hardcover graphic novels as well as some limited edition dc comics wonder girl posters promoting the new yara floor wonder girl comic and i've got those packaged up in the corner we've got our epic crossover patrons and our kirby club patrons that are gonna be getting those in the mail folks for as little as 25 dollars a month you can go ahead and not only get all the stuff that mark mentions but also monthly calls with the hosts me and mark and you get a hand selected mystery graphic novel mailed to your door. Past stuff includes uh, Spider Man, uh, Craven's Last Hunt, Fantastic Four, Behold Galactus. We've got Killer Be Killed Volume One, German and English edition. and German. <laughs> and German. Uh, Daredevil Season One, Green Lantern Earth One. We've got so much stuff coming at you. You might as well join in on the fun. Grow your fandom and your library and support the show all at the same time. Indeed. Well, speaking of the Kirby Club level that you mentioned there, I'm so freaking
2: excited because this is our first Kirby Club produced episode. And with us now to talk about his pick for this month is our very first Kirby Club level patron. He is uh, my good friend, the man who actually introduced me to comics before he was a man. He was just a boy, Eric, Eric Linden. Welcome to the Second Print Comics podcast.
1: Hey, Mark, how you doing? Thanks uh, Thanks for having me on. Of course. Well, thank you, because you
2: are uh, the very first, as I mentioned, Kirby Club member. Uh, It's the $50 a month level. And as a part of that membership, uh, you get to produce an episode of this show. And we're doing that today. So uh, why don't you just tell us what exactly you picked for us to go through today?
1: Oh, sure. So I picked one of my uh, one of my favorite stories uh, from when I was growing up. Um, This is the original Phoenix Saga. Uh, not to be confused with the Dark Phoenix saga. Um, This takes place um, when the uh, X-Men return to Earth and uh, Phoenix uh, bursts out of the water. Spoiler alert, <laughs> spoiler alert All of these it's on, on the, the first alert. page. <laughs> yeah. So,
2: th- yeah, this is basically a, I think the the overall Phoenix saga is sort of two parts. There's the one that we're going to be looking at today. And then there's what many people know might might know a little more closely from TV, film, movies, et cetera. Cough, cough. Part. X-Men Last Stand. Yeah, is the the Dark Phoenix saga. But this is what comes first, because before we have a Dark Phoenix, we have to have a regular Phoenix. So this story that we're going to look into today really goes through, um, you know, how we got to that point. Um, So but but since uh, since you set this up for us a little bit, why don't you set up also a little bit of like your your own comic book fanhood? Because I've told my story here before about how you got me into comics. Uh, So how did you actually first get into comics?
1: Yeah, sure. So I had a, um, a cousin of mine, um, was really into comics. Uh, one of his favorite uh, books was some of the X-Men. Um, so one day I kind of was over at his house. Um, he offered, up um, you know, his comic book collection, which was sitting in his garage, uh, which contained, um, X-Men titles from the seventies, um, going into the early eighties. Oh, so he had um, his own bucket pile. Oh, he sure did, and there were some really <laughs> good, there were some really good books in there, um, you, know, such as uh, "Days of Future Past." So at one point I had the original copies. they were completely um, completely uh, weathered. Oh, wow. <laughs> but I had those in my possession, and that really got me into, you know reading the comics were these classic X-Men titles. Um, unfortunately, he did not have uh, you know, Uncanny X-Men 101, uh, which would have been fantastic. Um, That is the uh, original appearance of Phoenix, which would be covered in this in this book. But, uh, you know, I had a lot of those titles, um, a lot of the um, what if titles, um, you know, just really sparked my imagination, uh, really got me into the the early works of the books. Um, And it's something that I'm still collecting uh, to this day is picking up a couple of the old X-Men books and just kind of revisiting them. Did really good stories.
3: Yeah, I mean, what what I love about this story specifically is like other than what, what I call the Jim Lee era of X-Men in the early 90s, this is really the roster of people that we're gonna see uh, come into the X-Men multimedia, you know empire through games through film through animation we've got one of the original appearances of kitty pride we've got colossus we've got wolverine we've got scott and gene i mean these are characters that uh they they go through this situation and this is really other than maybe days of future past one of those storylines that when people think of what where should i start where should i go back with the x-men it's usually this story
1: yeah, I would agree. Also, in this in this story arc, you also see the, the handoff from Dave Cockrum to John Byrne uh, in the artwork, uh, which are two classic, um, you know, artists in the X Men line. So you get quite a bit, plus the story from Chris, uh, Chris Claremont. Um, you know, so you get a really good taste of what classic X Men, um, you know, looked like. I think from the uh, the seventies.
2: Indeed, I think this is actually going to be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is going to be the first Silver Age story that we uh, that we go through on the show, unless I'm missing something, Remzo.
3: Ah, I, I think you're right because I was thinking sure right. the the farthest we go back is uh, the X-Men issue one from 1992. But I mean, we did a couple of the a couple of the what if stories, but those were all late 80s. So yeah, this is the first. Good job, yeah. Eric.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I believe it is. So so it's a first in many ways. It's our first Kirby Club member, first Kirby Club episode, and first Silver Age story all in one. So uh, I'm excited to jump in. Uh, Eric, thanks so much for joining us, man. And
3: uh, we're going to get on to the show now.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed. Thanks a lot, brother.
3: Okay, so... One thing that we need to get across with this story is that it's not like others we've been covering. Mm -mm. While it is called the Phoenix Saga, it's less of a giant continuing story arc, and it's more of a bunch of self-contained issues that build upon each other.
2: Yes, that would be one way to uh, to state things, I suppose, Uh using the, well, we'll get into it, using the, t- the term build quite loosely in, in some aspects. But uh yeah, I mean, this is the Phoenix Saga at Part 1, essentially, as collected by Marvel Comics. So uh, I think the collected edition contains the issues we're going to be looking at today, which includes Uncanny X-Men number 101 to 108. And uh, as we talked about with Eric, this is exciting stuff because it's our first formal Silver Age story that we're looking at
3: which is surprising especially if the number of x-men episodes we've done well it's not that surprising
2: considering that you know we're, we're largely I mean really the premise of the show is that we're, we were pulling from the stories that kind of first moved us as fans so naturally I'm usually picking stuff from the 90s you're usually picking stuff from the you know the, the 2000s or so and uh, but now old Eric here and, and to be clear Eric is, is exactly my age so he was not he was not reading this, these stories live but uh you know he like I said he got me into comics and like we talked about and he he read a bunch of this I mean he's read more or probably more comics than than I even have. Um, so I mean, th- that, you know, the man's the man's read a lot of stuff. He's seen a lot of stuff, and he's lived to tell about it. So now we're going to do the same. We're we're going to dive into this thing and and hopefully live to tell about it as well.
3: Absolutely, he's the king of the Kirby Club for a reason. Indeed. Uh, before we get started, I, I got to admit. Um, I, I read Dark Phoenix before this so the Dark Phoenix saga before this so I, I you know sadly I had kind of forgot that this part of the saga had existed so going back and reading it I kind of had to dump out the fact that you know this happened before Dark Phoenix and they're not the same story because right. it's much like the Spider-Man clone saga you had the clone saga from like the 60s 70s and then you had like the clone saga from the 90s I feel like with the Phoenix saga my clone exactly saga. I feel like the Phoenix saga usually gets kind of lost in that but here we are any thoughts before we jump
2: in they really do use the term saga i think they abuse that term a little bit here but but we'll get into that but uh, now let's, let's do it let's get in there okay
3: so prelude and this is extremely like you know Fair use of the term prelude Because if you actually read the prelude issues to this you, You're going to be like what the hell is he talking about But prelude uh, X-Men go to space to fight bad guys Bad guys of Sentinels and robot X-Men They get into a giant fight saving other X-Men But the space station Ends up going near a solar flare that could kill everybody So the X-Men fight the bad guys Defeat the bad guys But they don't want the bad guys to die Because if that happens they might die So what Jean Grey whose powers have been getting Extraordinarily more powerful Powerful over the last couple of years Ends up doing is she ends up Knocking out half the X-Men because what she's About to do is basically like a hero sacrifice She's the only one that can Not only absorb all the information about how to Pilot a spacecraft from The unconscious bad guys But also go ahead and shield them From the solar flare but when that Happens though it's not just a solar flare It ends up being weirder it's an alien Solar flare so everyone's freaking Out almost everyone's unconscious And she goes ahead and saves everyone Except they crash in a you know in like you know the ocean somewhere and everyone's freaking out and they all think that Jean is dead and voila we're here. I think that was a good enough prelude. That was admirable. Well done. Yeah. So here we are on Uncanny X Men uh, issue one oh one. This is Enter the Phoenix, and I love the cover art. This was a Claremont issue. Do you remember who the artist was? The artist of this issue is Dave Cockrum. Dave Cock. Dave Cochran, whatever he's doing, like I I usually criticize a lot of like Golden Age and Silver Age artwork, but I'm reading this now and it's like, damn, this is so much better than the stuff we see today. But that's just my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's it's certainly different. I mean, silver age art has its own special feel to it. It's it's hard to even compare it to a lot of '90s art in general. Uh, I think my, my big criticism of silver age art, uh, generally, is that like a lot of it feels the same. Like it feels like it's not most of it's good, most of it's not bad. But a lot of artists uh, outside of like a few of the really big names like Jack Kirby and whatnot uh, are hard to distinguish from each other. Like the fact that you had to ask me who is the artist here because
3: because I think not long after this, we do switch to John Byrne. John Byrne, yeah, because he was doing, I, I think he went from here to Superman, Man of Steel.
2: I will say that for Silver Age art, which I'm generally, it's, it's not that I'm not a fan of it. I, I appreciate it and respect it for what it is. It's It's—it's just before, i it's, it's before an era where- It's hard where, not
3: to look at it with modern eyes. Yes, that's, that's a good way to put it. It's hard not to look at it with modern eyes. I think for its time, it's very good art. Yeah. So uh, apart from just admiring that on the offset, one thing I will say is that I'm going to be kind of trailing through these issues because the thing about Claremont is back then he was actually doing something you rarely ever see in comics then and comics now especially he adds a lot of third-person narration so you have like this omnipotent narrator that is going through and recapping and telling you the story so that way it's not like it's being told from the thought balloons of other characters much like you might typically get with comics so for me to go back and read this that was one of those things where I was like I'm kind of I'm kind of glad they got rid of it at the time because while it's helpful it just makes things feel a bit cumbersome. So basically, I gave you the recap. They try and give an even simpler, but more concise recap in the first couple pages. As you can see, the the big space shuttle has crashed. We don't see where the bad guys are, but we see that the X Men have survived, and they're all in the water. Who we've we got here? We've got Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Nightcrawler uh Colossus all the all the X-Men that actually made the X-Men popular and Professor X who uh, and um, professor needs X.
2: help swimming even though he's a telepath how is he kicking why is professor why can't Professor X walk like I mean like what can't he just te- telepathy himself to walk or not, te- not telepathy? telekinesis be- sorry. telekinesis Kyle
3: that would look so weird yeah, I guess it would look weird and clunky. It'd be right? like Mr. Spaghetti Legs.
2: <laughs> It'd be like Weekend at Bernie's. Ignore,
3: ignore the fact that my legs are atrophied. Tell me you've seen Weekend at Bernie's, Ramzo of course, it's okay. where all the Weekend okay. at Bernie memes are from, right? Uh, right.
2: Yeah, I mean, yes, okay. that, that, that is where they're from. Just want to make sure. I don't know what one day you're, you're telling me. Kirstie Alley is the is the whole premise behind Cheers, and you know, I don't know, I don't know what to believe anymore.
3: The other day, I saw the car from uh, Forrest Gump that's in Cameron's garage. And I actually walked up to the driver walking out. I'm like, "Oh my gosh, that's the Corvette." Do you mean Fer- Oh, Okay, Ferris Bueller. Yeah, yeah. you called it Forest Gump. Fer- Fer- Ferris Bueller, the one with <laughs> the guy. Okay, <laughs> it,
2: the, right the when thing. I set you up to redeem your all of all of your knowledge, you confuse Ferris Bueller and Forrest
3: Gump. Listen, you set I, I me try. up, Claire. I'm trying. This feels like ageism. Best. It is. It is indeed. But speaking of comebacks comebacks we see somebody jump from the water it's gene gray all powerful all in a new costume that's the cool thing about powers in the in <laughs> comic books you get new clothes with it too and yeah, new powers
2: come with new cosmic tailors Which is
3: nice. Yeah. And and she pops up, and everyone thinks that she's dead, especially Cyclops, who's been screaming, like, Jean, Jean, where's Jean? And she pops up from the water, freaky as hell. And she's like, hear me, X-Men. No longer am I the woman you knew. I am fire and life incarnate. Now and forever, I am Phoenix. And what does she follow that up with? She ends up freaking out, saying, my mind is burning. So many memories, sensations, pain inside, tearing me apart. And she plops back into the... Water and and what's crazy about this is that Jean was always Marvel girl before This she was always the damsel in distress But over the last couple of years especially with this New X-Men team because the idea was Between the original five and this New team uh, is that Some years have gone by and that her powers Have actually amplified so between her And this quote solar flare Something has happened and she is A force to be reckoned with so Cyclops And the team swims over They go ahead and grab her and What they immediately do is they they, uh, you know, they get back to shore. Professor X uses his powers to go ahead and change their costumes into regular clothes. So as they go into the city, no one will go ahead and suspect them. Uh, Mark impressions on the on the you know first part of this.
2: I mean, they're not subtle with this whole uh, Phoenix transformation between the cover and then th- that big, uh, I don't think it's a splash page, say it's like a half a splash page, two thirds a splash page of uh, Jean Grey popping out. Uh, yeah, they get right to it. They're like, here I am. I'm the Phoenix. We're not going to tell you what that is, but uh, we know it comes with a new costume. We know it comes with new powers that are so overwhelming that it knocks Jean Grey out uh, right into the ocean. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they start off hot. I'll say that. Uh, you don't really know what's going on, which will be a bit of a theme throughout this the, the story arc that we're looking at uh but it's it's something big and uh you know obviously like we kind of know where all this stuff is gonna go eventually but i imagine to new readers at the time uh it had to be a you know an intriguing storyline of sorts especially considering like you said she was kind of like like you said the damsel in distress before she was not whereas like now she is seen as one of the most powerful mutants but th- this was not always the case
3: uh, absolutely in terms of just female Protagonists in comics I mean this is really somebody who's been able to make that Transition uh, especially before Like the likes of She-Hulk and the others I mean even the Invisible Woman would have to go Ahead and you know go a few decades Before she's actually seen as the most Powerful member of the Fantastic Four but anyway we get back To the story uh, Jean's not doing Well and they need to go ahead and take her to Somebody that actually understands mutant Physiology and everything so they go ahead and travel to Scotland to the hospital of Moira McTaggart a uh, longtime lover and and friend of professor X and they go ahead and they put her in her facility. What we see is we see uh, Cassidy AKA Banshee is there as well. We,
2: we, I, I got to go back to one scene that, that we kind of skipped over. Uh, it's, it's where Wolverine is buying flowers to bring to Jean gray and I, I got to read this little like thought balloon of his. This is what really stood out to me while I was reading this episode. Uh, he, he's going into the hospital, just got these flowers and he he's thinking to himself. All right. So it's a, it's his, uh, you know, his thought bubble it says, ain't never felt like this before. That's my Wolverine impression though. I'll all hot and bothered over a frail. Ain't never cared about anybody. I always liked being a loner. What the hey? I'll surprise her with these flowers. Maybe get to talking. What the and then he then he comes in and all the X Men are there. He thinks he's gonna have a little little alone time uh with Gene Gray. Uh but just the fact that he's saying he's he's all hot and bothered over a frail. Let's keep in mind (laughs) Gene Gray is a teenager. And Wolverine. Is she still a
3: teenager right
2: now? I don't, I don't know. I mean, you don't really age very fast in the Marvel universe. I mean, I guess, but this isn't
3: this isn't like Ultimate X Men where she's just like <laughs> barely legal. She's not fourteen, but she's I don't know.
2: Either way, Wolverine's like two hundred, so <laughs> it's it's still kind of weird. Yeah, um, yeah. There's another line. I'll find it. I'm going to get back to another line that stood out to me from Wolverine, but I'll, I'll let you continue in the meantime.
3: Yeah, but anyway, we, we we see Cassidy. Banshee is also there. He was always kind of a weird character. He's, li- he's like Black Bolt, but like less cool. Oh, I, I found it. It's actually just in the panel before. Um, this
2: is even creepier, I would say. Uh, he says, because he's already thinking to himself, he's like, man, you gotta be crazy. You know that? Acting like a school kid, still wet behind the ears. And for some broad, what's Jean Grey to you anyway? Someone I like. Someone I want. And what Wolverine wants
3: he gets <laughs> this is so weird i kind of glossed past this part because i'm like this is just odd I,
2: I did not gloss past it at all this is like the entirety of my notes for that for that issue
3: <laughs> <laughs> well a- anyway we're, we're back at the hospital Jean gray uh is has been seen by some of the other doctors and they're like listen she's doing well she just needs some time to recover i also want to mention that this is one of the first appearances of nightcrawler's um a uh, belt that goes ahead and actually changes his outward appearance. And he's chosen to look kind of like Clark Gable for some reason. <laughs> but when he moves and stuff, he still moves like Nightcrawlers, So it's kind of creepy. I didn't understand how he was doing that.
2: Okay. That, that, that explains, that explains that. Cause he does that throughout this. There's a really weirder one a little later, but we'll, we'll get to that.
3: Yeah. But anyway, uh, they, they all want to go ahead and stay here and, and they want to go ahead and, you know, Get, get her ready so they could go back to being X-Men stuff, but Professor X is like, listen Guys, we all almost died this time And I'm like, we almost really died And I'm somebody who almost dies a lot Sometimes I do die, but uh, What I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on like a forced Vacation, we just need to chillax Just go ahead and just, you know, like Find our inner spirit animal and stuff He didn't say those words exactly, so I'm Putting us all on a um, You know, perm, uh, on a On an enforced vacation And what Cassie ends up doing is he ends up basically saying hey you know i've got a castle around here because my family's like scottish royalty or something let's go ahead and go hang out there for a while so after planes trains and automobiles later they end up going all the way to oh he's irish yeah why do you call him yeah yeah they go ireland so he's not scottish he's irish all the same uh but anyway they they end up going to all of our scottish
2: and irish listeners thank you very much back to the program
3: this is a sensitive show. Uh, we're at Cassidy Keep, first built by Liam Cassidy over a thousand years ago all, uh, to defend this stretch of coastline from Viking Raiders. And, you know, Claremont gives like this giant. Like, explanation over Cassie's keep, and it really doesn't matter at all. But everyone's basically looking at it, and they're like, Oh, ah, it's so awesome. As they're driving up, it looks something like it's a creepy castle. But things do get creepy in a way because we end up just going to the next page, and we see this guy, and he's just dressed like somewhere between like a circus magician and like one of the village people. It's Black Tom Cassidy. Mark, what do you know about Black Tom Cassidy? Only that he has the brother of banshee and that their powers do not work against each other
2: because why Ramzo? it's been a while because because comics, comics. because comics because mutants etc other than that not a whole lot
3: well for deadpool 2 lovers you might remember black tom cassidy as deadpool's only african american friend other than blind al but black tom cassidy gets shot
2: i didn't even make
3: the connection Remember that part where Cable shoots him and Deadpool's like, you killed my African-American friend. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I like it. See? I totally missed that Easter egg. This is why I do this podcast, Rebzo. Everything matters, people. So anyway, uh, Black Tom Cassidy is going ahead, and he's basically laying a trap for his brother. a App- long story short, they're fighting over the castle—stupid shit. And what he's doing is he's yelling at like the groundskeeper, and the groundskeeper is just like, "Hey, you know, I can't go ahead and go up against like the Lord of the Manor." So Black Tom like bitch slaps him with like a cane or something. And he's like, "Go ahead and do your work." So this guy ends up going and basically like uh, welcoming them in, so that way he could lure them into black. Tom's plot of basically like killing them so he could get the castle, which is weird because he's already there. So it's like, you know, squatters rights or something.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't really understand the whole castle feud or care. I think it was just a I don't know, a, an excuse to find some wacky way that, that the X-Men end up uh, in in a battle
3: with some villains here for a couple issues. Yeah, we do get over to one of my favorite panels. We go ahead and we see the X-Men getting comfy cozy in their castle vacation escape. And Storm is like, ah, Banshee, you're so happy to be home. Where will I, uh, while I will only be happy the day I can leave this castle forever. I mean, Gene would <laughs> say, cast- uh,
2: You're welcome for the hospitality. Yeah, oh
3: she, she's, just get, she's just getting kind of like melodramatic about it. But Storm then is weird throughout this whole thing. She's not the Storm, the... the
2: uh- the awesome, powerful uh, you know, storm that that we've come to know in, in later years.
3: Yeah, but I mean, things get a little bit more like strange in this second. Well, strange <laughs> in like a good way, I guess. I kind of dug it because what she's like, ah, I, you know, I need to go ahead and refresh myself, calm my nerves. How better than to summon a summer shower? So basically she she takes off her clothes using her wind powers. She covers all her awesome parts with her hair and then she forces it to rain inside of her room. <laughs> it's all a bunch of stuff that doesn't make sense. But I think it's just an excuse to go ahead and see Storm partially naked, which I'm not complaining about.
2: No, I'm not compl- either and yeah it doesn't make sense because her power is to control the weather but the actual weather like outside like there's never been a power that she could just like make a rain cloud above her head but whatever it's a silver age things are weird things are funny but speaking of weird and funny here comes nightcrawler knocking
3: nightcrawler comes in and he's using his whole like you know make yourself look human but uh belt button thing, oh, and he goes ahead and he basically says, Ororo, may I go ahead and take you out to dinner? Because what they're doing is they're having like this big fancy dinner, because when you're with friends, you dress real fancy. Yeah, the and time. they're going and they're going to dinner in the castle, and Colossus comes in. They-, they have some funny dialogue. Yeah, like, they're not going out anywhere. They're just sitting with each other and dressing up fancy for some reason. <laughs> so, you know, there's some funny banter about who gets to be Storm's date, and Storm is like, I'm a strong independent woman. We'll go as equals. But, you know, we don't get to see the fancy dinner why because that's boring so what ends up happening like is a giant explosion comes out of nowhere and who do we see we see black tom cassidy and the juggernaut i don't know if this is the first appearance of the juggernaut no, no, or no. not not at all no he, he appeared pretty early on i
2: think he appeared in like well here you talk and i'm gonna do research. Oh, he
3: okay now i know why he appeared with the original five x-men like a hundred issues ago and this is him meeting the new team so he's never met this team of x-men x-men number 12 but yes, uh, yeah.
2: This does not have. There's no Jean Grey, no Ice. Yeah, I think none of the original X-Men are here. So yes, it would be not his first appearance, but his first time meeting this group,
3: perhaps. Yeah. So basically, everyone freaks out. Storm's in a catatonic state. Banshee's pissed that his fancy dinner's been destroyed. Colossus sees another big guy. He gets to punch, and everyone else is just standing around in shock. That ends issue one hundred yeah, and one. Yeah. And storm and storm freaks out, and and
2: that yeah, that's our last panel. Storm freaking out. screaming on the floor
3: yeah storm
2: is so weird throughout this whole thing but anyway yeah um I can't say I was that, I mean, I don't know. I, I look at a lot of this silver age stuff as like a lot of it's kind of like silly and cheesy. And that's where I get a lot of my enjoyment from. I get my enjoyment from things like Wolverine's weird thought balloons and conversations with himself, or uh, I don't know if it's here. It might be later, but there's one point where like, I think it's later on, but professor X says something to somebody. He's like, uh, he loves her. Like, like I once used to love her. And now he's referring, he is referring to when she was a teenager. And that's all that that creepy stuff there's a lot of weird stuff like that that you you would just not see in modern day comics and uh that's the kind of thing that i appreciate the silver age for but uh i was happy to see the juggernaut i wasn't expecting him here when i when i read through this the first time popping up at the end
3: juggernaut's one of my
2: favorite one of my favorite x-men villains i've always i've always gotten a kick out of the juggernaut let's just put it that
3: way were were you happy of how they showed him in like x-men 3 the last stand and deadpool 2 you
2: know i have a Yes, actually, I mean X Men: The Last Stand is is a terrible movie, and and it, I can't call it a good portrayal of the Juggernaut, but it's it it makes me laugh. Like I I enjoy it on a on a on a different level, and of course, yeah they yeah, Deadpool 2 is amazing, and I love everything about how the Juggernaut is done in that movie because it it the way they do it, it might not be, you know. The Juggernaut is is a kind of a serious character, but not always. And if you're when you're in Deadpool two, then you're gonna be you know part of some kind of you know sort of inside joke too. So I think I think they played it just right while still making him out to be like a really intimidating character. I mean, he rips Deadpool in half. So uh, I think they they covered their bases there by by making him entertaining and and, a, and really funny, something that Deadpool could play off of, but while still you know conveying
3: his actual strength and power. Yeah. Speaking of which, moving on, the Juggernaut is just completely like wiping the floor of this X-Men team. Uh, Storm is still in the corner. Everyone is still freaking out. Wolverine is still like on the floor trying to get up and Colossus is just happy for a fight. Meanwhile, Black Tom comes over and he's like, ah, you know, cousin, I couldn't go ahead and actually just fight you face to face because our powers, you know, do that thing where they don't work with each other. But I brought my friend the Juggernaut and he's going to go ahead and help me kill you and your friends and help me get this castle I was already technically living in so you know that that's going on meanwhile uh, i mean the juggernaut is just completely like wiping the floor with everyone uh wolverine and colossus have this cool move where they end up like swinging each other around and while we're all used while we're all used to like the fastball special where colossus throws wolverine wolverine somehow has the strength to and and the like you know the 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 limberness to throw colossus so he throws colossus like a freaking kettlebell at the juggernaut knocking him down but you know the juggernaut just gets back up and wolverine's adamantium claws can't get through him nightcrawler has no chance colossus is just getting his shit kicked in and aurora is just in the corner and she's Freaking like in out. this catat- catatonic state where you know we don't know what the hell's going on with her and she's the only one that can actually do something I, at this I love, point i love the one line like uh like nightcrawler's trying to snap her
2: out of it he's like storm aurora snap out of it woman he's like we're, we're being murdered storm why won't you help us he's just so, he's just busy he takes a break from stopping the juggernaut to berate her while she's just crying in the corner. But he's just like screaming at her like, what the fuck is wrong with you? We're getting killed here.
3: <laughs> oh, I just cracked. Yeah. Me. And lo- and you know, to cover this next part briefly, she's having a PTSD moment. She's having a panic attack, and what it does is it shows you more of her background. Long story short, parents were diplomats. Diplomats are traveling to another country. Plane got shot down. Parents got killed. She has a phobia of explosions and tight spaces, and she basically lived in Kenya by herself at that point. And we're gonna see more about her throughout it, but basically that's ex- that it, it explains why she's catatonic, and it also shows you a little bit about her. Her her background that we don't see in prior issues. Yeah,
2: it's 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 interesting too when they go back into Storm's background. I found it interesting that Storm remembered being six months old. I don't know when your memories started, Remzo. How? What? When, when is the first time you start like started having memories that you can think of?
3: Uh, one time I shit myself when I was four okay so four that's, that's an interesting way like
2: i i, I don't know I, I different people have different things like some people i know they kind of remember being like two and three i don't feel like i remember anything till i was like five years old like i remember getting a nintendo and i was five and i played the nintendo and that's that's the beginning of life for me so uh but yeah six months old that's maybe that's a mutant, maybe that's a real mutant power is early memories early childhood memories
3: useful why i don't know okay. but it seems useful i guess for them to include that
2: it's about, it's about as weird as modern-day Maura McTaggart's uh, power to get reincarnated every time she dies.
3: Yeah. But anyway, we go back to uh, the hospital where Professor X is going in, and he's going to go ahead and check on Jean Grey because he senses that nothing is all afoot with her new you know, Phoenix thing happening. Uh, Scott's there, and what we see is that we see is Misty Knight is there. Misty Knight, lover of Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, also a member of the Heroes for Hire. Misty Knight is a private investigator, and she's basically investigating what happened with uh, everything that happened right before this, with the giant space fight and Sentinel Farm and all this stuff. Oh, so she's undercover here
2: I was like this is random That Jean Grey just happens to be roommates with Misty Knight
3: Yeah I think she still Has her you know arm because you know she, She's known for like the giant metal winter soldier Arm she had that before the winter soldier Made it cool
2: I had no idea she had one of those See learn things every day
3: Anyway, Professor X goes ahead and gets a call, basically from all the X Men in the castle, saying, "Help us! We're getting murdered here." So what does he do? He goes over and does what he usually does, and he just starts yelling at Scott, and he's like, "Scott, you must go ahead and save the X Men. They've been ambushed by the Juggernaut." And Scott is like, "No, Professor, not this time. I'm staying here at the hospital until Jean's out of danger." And Professor X is like, "You're you're what? You're putting the life of the one woman ahead of the those of your fellow X Men?" And Scott is, you know, all sour puss, like he. Usually as he's like I am because that woman Is the most important thing in my life <laughs> Besides there's nothing I could do to help The X-Men no way no foul No sir I cannot get, Make a different uh, I could um, I can get To them in time to make a Difference but I, I don't think I'm Going to do it and it's just basically this this Giant pissing match until so Professor X he's been going through like his own Little psychic fits he turns around to a mirror And he basically sees uh, This version of himself from his dreams i guess he's something out uh, like galaga or rupaul's drag race
2: no 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 that is the alien that's who he's seeing
3: that's the alien then why is it in his chair i could see how you'd think that because it does look like
2: but it's it's what's her name it's Lalandra that we'll meet later
3: oh yeah so yeah. he's seeing alien people in his dreams while Scott doesn't want to go save anyone yeah,
2: he doesn't know what it is he just knows it's this face that he's been seeing in his dreams and now he's seeing it in the mirror uh, I can see you would think it looks like a weird future
3: space professor X you, see what
2: you see what I'm seeing <laughs> yeah well, I'd see what you're seeing now that you say it yeah
3: so we're back at the castle and basically all the X-Men get their shit kicked in black Tom has like this midget elf army that comes and like drags them away like <laughs> you know the the lollipop guild from wizard of oz they come and take they they take nightcrawler so at first you
2: think that they're like just like capturing him but uh you know we later find out that they're they're not the, they're not that bad these little these wee elves
3: save us from black tom the only african-american supervillain right now so he ends up uh, you know, Banshee ends up fighting Black Tom and they're taunting each other. Next thing you know, I guess Colossus gets his second win and he starts fighting Juggernaut. Things don't get any better until Storm eventually decides to like make things like go gale force wind, but before she could do that, um, it's funny because Juggernaut just like ninja chops her on the side of the head and then he picks both her and Colossus's body up and he's like, and Charles Xavier is going to walk into our death trap here as meek and defenseless is a lamb to the slaughter so he's putting full sentences together which he usually doesn't do these days and black tom is being all black tom and laughing all evil like uh, and that's the end of this issue yeah i do like that that they really portrayed juggernaut as as his moniker is as
2: completely unstoppable because he is. He is really the one of the most powerful uh villains, uh just physical strength wise and uh invulnerable invulnerability wise invulnerable you know invincible, invincible. Unstoppable? Yes, he is unstoppable. That's I should have just left it there really. But yeah, they I, I like that like no matter what they throw against the Juggernaut, it just doesn't stop doesn't stop him. Why? Because he's the unstoppable juggernaut. And yeah, they they really portrayed Juggernaut throughout this issue as I have to keep saying it unstoppable I'm gonna stop I I can't I can't use another word
3: like the story is 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 still going and I I like the dialogue because what I will say is while this issue doesn't impress me because I've read so much other x-men what I will say is like the first hundred or so issues of x-men there's a reason they weren't great there's actually a reason why the book got like paused, canceled no matter how you look at it Mm -hmm. And, and for all of Claremont's I'm not going to call them faults because they're not faults. It's just he was writing to the time. Uh, He's the one who really made them popular. So while Stanley and Kirby may have created them, it was with Claremont's new team and everyone else. They actually made the X-Men feel like characters for once. And what I like about these stories is that it's very character-driven and it's less just the X-Men responding to things. So while I might kind of gloss through this, not sounding that interesting, I have to also admit that this was big at the time and this is why this run is so important. Yeah, and I did find the um,
2: I did find the battle scene overall pretty entertaining. Like like John Byrne and Dave Cockrum did a pretty good job of of mixing up the action enough uh, that it it kept me you know it, it made the issue f- fly fly you know it, it didn't really get bogged down too much in the dialogue. Of course there it is the whole uh, the whole Spider Man thing of we're we're talking and, and making witty remarks throughout the whole battle. But uh, I I found it interesting enough. I I, I like that they, they try to use different techniques. Like I really loved how Wolverine like threw a Colossus against him like something you don't really, you know, you wouldn't normally really see, or you wouldn't really think who'd be he'd be the one throwing him. So I, I got some different elements of the battle that I, I wasn't really expecting, and it was enough to at least keep me uh, interested throughout the issue.
3: Yeah. So now we're we're continuing on to issue 103. Uh, we've basically picked up where we left off. Nightcrawler is being dragged by the little people, <laughs> and this is where things also just get like so weird that so it, weird. when this when it. this whole stuff is referenced, it's like they they intentionally gloss over this part. But those little people. People are actually little little people They're leprechauns and the reason Why they're saving Nightcrawler is because They could tell that Nightcrawler is an X-Man and you know Who else is an X-Man? Banshee who's the good Cassidy of Cassidy Keeps And long story short uh, These leprechauns have been allowed To live on the grounds of Cassidy's Keep For generations because You know Ireland's you gotta have leprechauns But when the big bad Black Tom came in with the Juggernaut they started terrifying And terrorizing the leprechauns so much so that some were put into leprechaun slavery and <laughs> I can't believe I just had to say that but well. it's, a, so, it's a recap that's why we're here <laughs> it, it's like the smurfs but with more terrorism and you even see like Le- like the juggernaut, Just like smashing, smashing them, and chasing yeah. the leprechauns. Like I would be shitting myself if I if that was them in that situation.
2: The one leprechaun mom's running away with her little leprechaun baby. Imagine how small that leprechaun baby.
3: That's is. like the that's like the size of a fingernail. Yeah. But anyway, so basically they had they want to help the X Men to fight him so they could go back to being castle leprechauns.
2: Yeah. And they're they're all kind of working under this Iman O'Donnell guy who is basically being just threatened um, by uh, by Black Tom to help him out and play along. But he is not a bad guy. So that's why he, along with these leprechauns, are actually trying to help the X-Men by uh, by first taking away Nightcrawler and, and trying to get to him here, trying to get him out of the action.
3: Yeah, and while we usually just think that the smart thing for these villains to do is to go ahead and kill the heroes, here's what Black Tom, who's apparently also a super genius, ends up doing. He ends up going ahead, and while all the X-Men are knocked out by Juggernaut, he's trapping them to these machines, and what he wants to do is basically just take away their powers and then leave them powerless, which is kind of stupid, but, you know, to each their own.
2: I feel like we see this stuff in comics all the time. Like, oh, we got them, so we're
3: going to put them in this machine where they can't use their powers until someone frees them, and then they can use their powers. It's like the James Bond trope. Put him in a death trap machine situation that he could very easily get out of.
2: While I slowly explain to him exactly what my entire plan is, leaving him just enough time to
3: p- p- find out a way to escape. Meanwhile, as Black Tom is about to press the button, Professor X comes walking in, which is not what you would expect. He's walking in and immediately Marco is pissed for two reasons. Because uh Kay and Marco, the juggernaut, one, he hates his brother. too; he hates his brother walking. So he goes ahead and jumps <laughs> and like lunges toward him And Professor X, who in the current X-Men comics has a six pack. Apparently back then he was also uh, practicing like professional acrobatics. Uh, meanwhile, what we find out is that that's not actually Professor X. That was um, that that was Nightcrawler using his change yourself belt to go ahead and pretend to be Professor X to distract the yourself. juggernaut so that way storm could finally get like the power of courage and before the button is pressed she brings out like this hurricane that ends up blowing a side of the building so much so that it frees all the other x-men as well as all the little leprechaun slaves by the way
2: thanks for destroying part of my castle
3: Storm. She never. She didn't like the castle anyway. We shouldn't be that surprised. No, she. She never. She had it in for that castle from the very beginning. Yeah, but anyway, the fight goes out. Now they have to go ahead and save Banshee, who's who's you know like chained up and muzzled. They're trying to go ahead and find them. Uh, and as soon as Banshee gets his powers back Juggernaut comes lunging towards him he goes ahead and causes more property damage which I don't know what castle insurance is like in Ireland oh. but this is this is like a big deal speaking of big deals Black Tom is pissed because his leprechaun slaves are all gone Marco's down like his, his 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 good cousin is out and it's like this is a pretty embarrassing like you know land dispute issue so he goes with he goes at Banshee with an axe because why not and what Banshee ends up doing is he he, uh, he he counter strikes him and is Uh, Black Tom is lunging forward towards him he basically gets underneath him and kicks him and tosses him off the freaking castle and Juggernaut's just not having that because it's hard to it's it's hard to be a Juggernaut so Juggernaut just starts screaming Tom out of my way you costume clowns look out he was the only friend I've ever had X-Men and so help me if you've killed him I'll make you pay so what does the uh, you know immovable object do he decides to jump in the water which I don't think he can swim so I hope he survives but basically now everyone is just kind of looking around we're not going to talk about the leprechauns anymore and everyone basically seems to be cool but as the panel as the issue ends we get to the last panel and what we see is that there's some other creepy crazy dude wearing a funky costume watching them from afar and that's where this ends Mark what does any of this have to do with the phoenix
2: this is exactly what I was thinking this whole time I'm like I I signed up for the phoenix saga and while I did get an introduction to the phoenix bursting out of the water now she's just in the hospital while we're, while we're hanging out with Black Tom. And we got a Smurf c- crossover. And we got a Smurf convention, and we got a Nightcrawler pretending to be acrobatic Professor X. And I mean, it's it's fun. I can't say it's not like enjoyable in, in a sense but it, it's not the phoenix saga that i was looking for just yet
3: no and i mean we're we're moving on to issue 104 well i will say i like about the cover because i'm a cover snob is they've actually uh, reimagined the x-men issue one cover of uncanny uh, x-men yeah. issue one okay. and they've put in the new team with magneto so i like it when they do these type of renditions i i like feeling like they're paying a little bit of respect to the past so i dig it how do you feel about covers that spoil what's going to happen because this is
2: like a big return of Magneto in this series and they make a real big deal out of it when they come upon him but I, I guess maybe it's a marketing thing too they want people to see the cover and say magneto oh my god but it does kind of take a little bit of the way of a, a, a little bit out of the drama of them actually finding magneto uh, which that was very unexpected because as we discussed way back in our very first issue of this podcast at one point in time magneto was a baby and that is right before the last time they saw magneto was when he was a baby um, Uh, Right here, so this is their—they're very surprised to not only see Magneto, but see him as an adult. But anyway, we'll
3: get there. My my philosophy on covers is I just never take any of them that seriously because I remember when I was a wee lad, my dad took me to a store and he got me a copy of Superman, and this copy of Superman had Superman, but Superman was a bloodthirsty vampire. And here I am expecting—I think, oh no, Superman's a vampire—and we get to the end of the story, and he's not a vampire, nor was he ever a vampire. It was just him. <laughs> fighting a vampire, so what I took from that was the covers lie, and you shouldn't always take them for granted and even if they do spoil the story, if you're reading it and you're along for the ride, it doesn't really matter
2: you can't trust the government, you can't trust comic book covers. those are the two things I would say you're not going to want to trust
3: absolutely right so now we're now we're back, and everyone is uh down at the docks because you know they went ahead and destroyed Cassidy's keep, and now you know. Uh, banshees arguing of some type of sea captain and they're they're trying to get a charter out because i guess banshee's like loaded no one ever talked about it i mean you gotta be Apparently. able to feed you gotta be able to feed the groundskeeper and the leprechaun slave army so which we'll never talk about again and leprechaun slave armies they
2: have they have big appetites so you know you gotta you gotta, you gotta have a lot yeah you, you need a whole farm to feed these, these leprechauns yeah
3: so basically, we've got like this awesome X boat. And while everyone is getting on board, haggling with the sea captain, getting ready to leave, it, it can't just be an easy day. No, especially with everything that just happened the day prior. So somebody comes down and actually blows up the boat. Now all the X men are like, ah, sh- shit and you know banshee they're they're all ashore you know like a few minutes later and banshee's like how is everyone and nightcrawler's like cold and wet banshee how (laughs) kind of you to ask but why is it that every time we ride in something mechanical it crashes and wolverine (laughs) like it, it like his whole costume is all damp and stuff and he's like dumb luck i guess elfie did you ever set the feeling though that someone's got it in for us and uh now they're starting to think you know maybe it's not that we just have really bad luck maybe it's that you know some someone is actually out to get us, and what they end up seeing is that uh, they they've landed on an island, and they see this giant superstructure, and they think it's more of McTaggart's labs, but something is uh, something is afoot, and they all start getting attacked by these giant invisible forces, like a force field dome, and the ground is being swept up, and you know they're just being tossed around like rag dolls, and to make things worse, like there's some robots in the mix. And
2: if you saw the cover, you probably have already figured out what's going on. That's why i love that that kind of thing where you know where a big reveal is done on the cover
3: but you do get a nice full page spread of magneto he's the one who's gone ahead and dragged them to this place and he's like greetings x-men i bid you welcome to the site of your final battle and he gives the long speech talking about how he's magneto and we're all like we know magneto that's you
2: yeah 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 we've heard the story before we know
3: yeah. So anyway, Mora um, McTaggart and Cyclops and the X Jet, they go ahead and actually get to her lab uh, somewhere in New York, and they go ahead and they see that uh, uh, Jamie Madrix, the Multiple Man, has been assaulted, and he's just like, "Oh my God, Mora!" I always had a soft spot for the Multiple Man ever since the da- the days of me uh, reading early 90s X Factor. I've I've always liked him too. I always feel like he's underappreciated. But anyway, uh, Madrox is is freaking out. He's like, Mora, Mora, oh no, what have you done? You've brought the X-Men here. You've murdered them. Oh, I I was wrong. They're actually back at, mctaggart's lab from oh, new yeah. york to yep. ireland yep. so we all know what's going on but long story short we get the recap mark give the recap of baby magneto <laughs> all
2: right well let me explain uh well I, I don't remember how he became a baby they don't they don't go over that here but uh morris we don't know it-
3: how leprechauns exist but now we just kind of assume they do
2: exactly so today so majox is telling us a story here he says i was making my morning rounds when i got ambushed by havoc polaris and eric the red Before I go on any further, Remzo, what can you tell me about Eric the Red?
3: Evil alien who looks like he's in the BDSM by his costume.
2: All right. That's good enough. Uh, He says, somehow they gotten past all the (laughs) – that's an amazing description. Somehow they got – that should be his Tinder bio. Somehow they'd gotten past all the automatic security systems. They went straight for the cell we've had Magneto in ever since he'd been turned into a baby – uh, and this is where we got the... Why cosmic... did you stick
3: a baby in the cell? <laughs> I know, right? He's a
2: baby. Jeez. Uh, Eric sounded pressed for time. Almost scared, he pressed for time. I, like, I love, like, the, the the kind of note you take. He sounded like he was in a hurry. Not like, yeah, he's... <laughs> <laughs> anyway he gestured some sort of ray zapping out from his hand towards the baby and in seconds magneto was a grown man again
3: <laughs> when a baby becomes a man <laughs> he
2: continues they talked all day eric suggesting an alliance against the x-men a two-pronged attack magneto was furious humiliated at being at being a baby in xavier's hands he
3: wanted vengeance so you see everyone's motivation here now you see, maybe if they taught him stuff like morality and didn't stick him in a cell as an infant, <laughs> things, he wouldn't be as mad. I mean,
2: at this point, can you really blame Magneto? Like, it's bad enough you could turn into a baby. But then while you're a baby, a defenseless baby, you're kept in the cell with just this little, like, weird monkey creature that they gave him. Yeah. I think I'm on team Magneto at this point.
3: But anyway, he gets into a giant fight and the fight goes on for a bunch of pages. And what this really shows is like, you knew that Magneto was always more powerful than the original five X-Men. And what he still basically shows is that he's still stronger than this entire team. The only person who can actually like go toe to toe with him is Banshee. And it's not because Banshee's the strongest. In fact, Magneto identifies that Storm is actually the most powerful mutant, but it's because Banshee, you know, maybe it's because he's the oldest this mutant but he has the most discipline over his powers, so he's the only one who's able to even you know pause magneto for a little bit so the rest of the team could go ahead and get up but magneto identifies this and he's like damn this guy i did not anticipate dealing with this dude i was just expecting the other bozos so you know magneto basically creates a force field thing or Majigger, and he runs off as scott and banshee try and recover with the other x-men and, yeah. you know, Magneto runs away and he's just like, ah, I fought them all, beat them all. They've run away, even though he was technically the one that kind of ran away. And he's like <laughs> leaving Magneto triumphant.
2: Yeah, I mean, he has a re- an interesting definition of, of triumph, I would say.
3: Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we go ahead and we go off into space and we encounter this, the... His oh, name we is also, Star Jammer. We also get a little tease here.
2: Uh, this this one panel, he says, when Magneto's leaving, he says, uh, he leaves then, never noticing. Uh, how does he think he's triumphant here? It really is absurd. Uh, never it's noticing. kind of weird. <laughs> as behind him, I guess he's just that delusional. That's what makes him a villain. As behind him, a fine and private horror stirs and slowly comes awake. And then we see the one panel where it says, Mutant X, no admittance, uh, danger, seal broken, oxygen, seepage and progress. How did I miss healer. that? Uh, I don't know. Cause you're too distracted. It's by It's
3: kind of tucked in the corner.
2: Yeah. They didn't make a big deal out of it, but it's a, a teaser for uh, a future storyline. Mutant X, which of course is Legion, who of course is the illegitimate child of Charles Xavier and Moira
3: McTaggart. Dun, dun,
2: dun. And G- Charles, Willie, he was all over everybody back in the day, man. He's
3: kind of a Dick Mark. He's kind of a Dick. Yeah.
2: Kind of. And we're going to see him hop to hop to another one in this one, but we'll get there.
3: Anyway, we're on, uh, we're on the last page and we see that we're on the command deck of the Star Jammer of the Star Jammer team led by Corsair, who is Cyclops's father. Do we know that he's his dad yet? We don't know it yet. We we fi-
2: we and Cyclops all find out together <laughs> towards the end of this thing.
3: Yeah, Uh, and they basically encounter the alien queen, Landra, from the Shi'ar Empire, and she's basically on the mission. She's recruited the the Star Jammers or something like that. And then at the very end, we see that Professor X is taking Jean Grey and Misty Knight home because Misty's concerned about her friend and stuff. (laughs) That's just the way you say it. He's taking uh, Jean Grey and Misty Knight home. It's like, geez, Professor, my God. You got the fever now, too. I'm sorry. He's taking he's he's taking he's taking them to Jean Grey's home. So they're all having a nice good time. But who's outside the window lurking lur- lurking and peeping? We got Polaris Havoc and Eric the Red ready to pounce. And that BDSM alien freak Eric the Red. I <sighs> <sighs> i don't know how he feel about Eric. Oh,
2: I am. I, I don't I have no use for this character at all.
3: Okay, so now we're done with. Until I heard your description
2: of him, then now I now that's the one thing I like
3: about. Now, him. now he's got some spice to the yeah. to the whole thing. Uh, end of issue one hundred four. Thoughts? Um, I'm still waiting for a Phoenix Saga. <laughs> I, but, I guess- yeah, where where? How is this part of it?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is. I, I think this is in many ways Marvel just wanting to have like a, a bigger collection here, and and then later later naming this because they're not calling this the Phoenix Saga here. I think this is more in retrospect. We're going to call these eight issues the Phoenix Saga, uh, so we can make a trade paperback and tell you to buy it. Um, I mean, it is the introduction of the Phoenix in the beginning, but then yeah, I mean,
3: four issues in. And why, why wouldn't you include like the last four issues prior to this, that are the prologue? Because that would actually make even, more
2: sense than starting. You can't
3: even go. You can't even go into when this technically starts without knowing that that's more important. Yeah. That, that is the strange thing, I guess that you're not even actually
2: seeing the issue where she actually first encounters the Phoenix force itself. That would, that would have made a little more sense, but you know, we're not, we're not Marvel editorial for a reason, I guess. That's why we're podcasters.
3: Because we make good choices. Yes, exactly. Something like that. Anyway, on to issue one Oh five, we've got a little teaser. We see a guy named fire Lord in there. He's just basically like, trapeze artist human torch or something like that another
2: spoiler another spoiler on
3: the cover they were big about this in the silver age yeah.
2: i guess they just really want fans like, oh my god fire lord i've got it by x-men number 105 yeah uh and for, speaking of things that we 30
3: cents, Remzo. 30 uh, 30 pre-inflation money the
2: halcyon days
3: anyway we turn the first issue and it says phoenix unleashed so now we're getting this a bit more on the nose we see storm nightcrawler colossus uh, Cyclops, Wolverine, and Banshee. I just realized this. This is actually one. They don't show the full X-Jet, but they actually do show a pretty good background version of it and actually does look pretty cool i I like i like this page i'll say it and then you see them running towards eric the red who's apparently in their westchester headquarters and they're screaming literally it's eric the red here at our headquarters (laughs) and what does cyclops say he says get him x-men and what does colossus say after all he's done to us these past months uh I, he says something in Russian. "Tovarish psychops, it will be a pleasure." And then they just kind of run towards them. Uh, I. Don't, this is what. This is weird because they kind of just jump. We didn't even see the X Men get back home. We we left off yeah, with. This is
2: where- I mean, talk about a, a, a wild, a wild week. They go right from that that space mission crashing into the ocean to Jean Grey bursting out as the Phoenix. Then they get shipped off to this weird castle adventure. And they gonna, find out
3: that, leprechauns are real.
2: Yeah, we find out leprechauns are real. Uh, I, I do, I do. Going back to that one, there's a one scene where where uh, they're like um, the Wolverine is like talking to this leprechaun. He's like, leprechauns? I don't even believe in leprechauns. And they're like, well, we don't really believe in talking Wolverines, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of my favorite parts and then uh, yeah and then, and then right from there on the way home just have a random battle with magneto and now they show up and they're fighting eric the red and fire lord like this has just been a,
3: a, a topsy-turvy week and, and that's the thing we immediately go from that one page to the next page do they eat ever do they ever get a meal in like they never even had that one dinner like i don't think they've stopped have they washed their uniforms <laughs> that's the real question funky anyway funny. The second page pops up and we're immediately introduced to Fire Lord who introduces himself as Galactus's former Herald. Why was he a former Herald replaced by Silver Surfer? We don't know. And they don't care to tell us. But what he does say is that he's got the power of the sun, which is cool, I guess. And he's flying around. He's got like his little staff and he's zapping people. And, you know, the X-Men, <laughs> this X-Men team, I don't know if it's because they're they less get powerful. They kicked a lot. Yeah. Like, are they like less powerful or something or are they just not good as a team? I mean, maybe that is it. I don't
2: know if they're being purposely written that way, but it seems like every time they face like a singular villain or two, even though it's like five or six of them, uh, even even when they're facing just like one or two villains together, they they seemingly get their butts handed to them until you know something intervenes and they end up escaping. And that, it seems like that's what's happening They're They're not really defeating anybody here either. Like they're just kind of getting away. They're like Magneto
3: and a lot of this is just happenstance too because eric the red was apparently losing that fight that we don't really even see him fight and his fire lord comes by to save him because apparently they're both friends because you know all aliens know each other he goes ahead <laughs> and he literally says to himself in the inner monologue damn like if fire lord didn't come by my my base by chance i would have been pretty screwed
2: well yeah what's what's absurd is the way that like <laughs> the way that eric the red like convinced he basically just lied to Firelord. lord let me see I'm, i i want to read this this dialogue here uh because it's Fire Lord is kind of like uh, is recapping. I'm not sure which one of them is, is recapping how this has happened. But uh, yeah, Firelord shows up. He's like, Eric, are you all right? Uh, is like a flashback. He says, I am. I am well, my friend. But did you have to treat the X-Men so harshly? Oh, wait. No, this is I'm sorry. I, this is not the flashback yet. Now we go into the flashback. Where is the flashback? I'm, At the I'm, bottom right corner. I'm all I'm all crossed up here. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, "Oh yeah, there." I get it now. Now we're seeing what happened earlier after his initial battle that we didn't see. Is that basically what happened? Yes. So uh, that's that's really confusing. Uh, he said, "I thought all was lost when my sensors reported that the X Men had escaped Magneto. All would have been lost had yeah." You said you just said that asshole. All would have been lost had Fire Lord not chanced by my command base at the very moment. Bless the gods! I was ready for him in no time. Who ca- what what cared if I if my improvised scenario demanded the sacrifice of my two mind controlled pawns? So basically he set he he basically said that like Havoc and Polaris had attacked him. So then Eric so then Firestorm attacks Havoc and Polaris and decides to help uh, Eric the Red. And he says like and he's like Because that makes sense. And he says, and so I guess this is them meeting for the first time. This is so confusing. Okay, yeah. This okay. This is the flashback before they fight the X Men now, <laughs> which is where. So then, then Firestorm is like, "Who are you? Why did you seek their death?" Uh, the, he's like, "I am an explorer." This is Eric the Red now, like yourself, Firelord. These X Men seek to rule this world. I got in their way. I, I tried to stop them. You see. So I let, and th- now we're back to Eric the Red telling the story. So I led him here, knowing the X Men attack me at first sight. They've placed their parts admirably, and Firelord is now convinced. So he he tells Firelord. The X-Men are bad, blames Havoc and Polaris for being a part of the whole thing, and then he, he brings a Fire Lord to the X-Mansion knowing that they know that Eric the Red is a villain, so of course they're going to attack him, thereby proving his story to Fire Lord correct. My God, this is absurd.
3: That was, like, <laughs> congratulations for doing that. I'm very proud of you, but that's very useless that. to is the not... story. Yeah. I, I didn't Man. understand that. I think they I felt like they felt like we needed to know, Mark. They felt like we needed to know. It's really hard to to see. There's like there's like it's like a recap within a recap here. All told by Eric, the red. And it's really good. There's some Hickman bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we move on to the next page, completely disregarding all of that.
2: Maybe Jonathan Hickman is staying truer to the X-Men than we ever realized.
3: What does that say about us? Oh, boy. Anyway, we see a Shi'ar ship that looks like a bug because I forgot they look stupid like that. And what we basically see is that the Shi'ar and some other aliens are trying to fight are trying to find this like alien entity. And what they find is that it's been traced to Earth and that this planet also went ahead and at one point faced Galactus. So they're like freaking out. They're like, how did this planet do it? They're like, shit, we can't mess with these guys. These guys,
2: they, these guys like scared black Galactus off like four times
3: yeah but what ends up happening is as they get closer to Earth there are some other ships out there that start shooting missiles at them but this giant person I'm sorry th- this person like this giant bug suit goes over to like the Star Trek uh, like teleporter thing and they teleport out before they can die with the rest of the ship so basically they phase out somewhere and the ship gets shot and next thing you know because it matters we end up going back to Jean Grey's house where it's like you've been gone for a few years and the first thing you're gonna do is make your family dinner which she does apparently so she's making you know nice talk with her parents and you know she's got her bald professor and her her friend misty knight and and they're all talking and and next thing you know out of nowhere in the middle of the room we see the bug person in in the bug suit thing come out and you know phase out like scotty i'm here and what how does how does professor x respond he's just like it you know cringing in in terror and he's like no it's impossible yet it's happening and this is and this time everyone can see it because he thinks he's been going crazy and as the person walks over to him uh it turns out to be lelandra the queen of the shiar he just knows her name yeah why because he's professor x because mutants yeah, and as and you know, Lalandra basically falls down, and his first instinct is take off her armor, showing her you know sexy alien queen outfit and stuff because comics and uh, because all this has happened in like five minutes, the house begins to explode, and we see Fire Lord come down. He's like, "Hear me, humans! I am Fire Lord." Because we forget, and he's like, "I've come for Princess Lalandra. Oh, she's a princess right now." And the man called Charles Xavier, resist me at your. Pay- I love like the Joss Whedon bullshit uh, dialogue here, um, and you know Misty Knight does what she does best. She pulls out a gun. I, know, I guess like, she what, you, what is your I guess stupid this, gun I guess, doing against this guy? I guess she doesn't have the metal arm yet, but that's okay because well, she's still Grey, undercover, So maybe she can't she can't whip it up. If, if you enter. didn't if you didn't know, Mark, Jean Grey is the Phoenix because they haven't shown us this like and more she, than once in she the likes entire to thing. Let you know. She likes to let you know. So she, she activates her powers, goes from like her funky 70s clothes to her new Phoenix outfit getup. And she says, You know why I'm doing this? Because I'm the Phoenix. And she goes ahead and kicks him out of their house. They get into a giant fight. Meanwhile, Eric the Red decides to jump in while Phoenix and Fire Lord are still doing stuff. But it's okay because the X-Men have some type of like weird, like Prius version of the X-Jet. And they're coming down. And Wolverine's like, What's the matter? leader man this more trouble than you can handle and cyclops the, the stoic practical leader that he is is just like get off my back Wolverine The controls are all fused. We're going down. The turbo fans are running running wild, shattering the engines. And then he says, the one thing you always want to hear your captain say, bail out all of you. We've got seconds before this craters. And right before he says craters, it blows up. And what does Nightcrawler respond with? Oh, no, not again. (laughs) He's like, can I get a freaking break? My God. Yeah, so Eric the Red somehow kidnaps Lelandra because Professor X is actually pretty useless. Not because, you know, of the wheelchair, but because he's like the world's most powerful telepath psychic and he can't do shit. And he does nothing. So, yeah, so what ends up happening is Eric goes ahead and creates a portal. And luckily, one of the few useful X-Men tries to lunge at it, Nightcrawler. But he ends just up a portal, Remzo,
2: it's a Stargate.
3: Yeah. And meanwhile, uh, Jean Grey's parents, who've just been like safe and standing there, are like, Xavier, who are these costume people?
2: What's the meaning? Haven't you and, been listening? They're Eric the Red and Fire Lord. And- yeah,
3: and Phoenix. And the Phoenix, if in case and you didn't And the X-Men. Hear. And Nightcrawler, who doesn't trust vehicles. I love uh, if you're on this page where they jump through the portal up in the, the lower, down
2: in the lower right corner. I, the, I love uh, Professor X has the classic fist in the air. Curse you,
3: Eric. Curses. Super boomer. Uh, we even Such have, you know, Jean Grey's mom who's like, you know, about to faint. And she's like, Jean, dude. And Jean is like, mom, dad, later, there's no time to explain. So basically what ends up happening is like Professor X and a few of the other X-Men start like making the portal work for some reason because they figured that shit out and they immediately start like jumping through it in the meantime as all the x-men are through the portal chasing eric the red who's kidnapped melandra who shows up fire lord he because My God. because he's there so we've got frail professor x and then we've got misty knight no robot arm and gene grain's parents who are going to have a lot to explain to their insurance company and the hoa and that ends this issue
2: Oh, yeah. And my favorite part is, like, as Jean Grey's parents, they're like, he's like, I want an explanation, Xavier. What have you done with our daughter? And Professor X says, I think I have sent her and my X-Men as well, Mr. Grey, to their deaths. That that <laughs> makes every parent feel so way much better. Comfort. My God, way to calm down the situation. Like, yeah, I just sent him to die. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so basically. I, I don't know that- why we needed Fire Lord in any, in any part of this.
3: Do you want to recap this one or just move on? Because I feel like there's not much to say. What? This. This issue. The one that we're about to come out upon? No, the one that we just did. Oh, that I, one.
2: I, I think we covered enough.
3: It <laughs> happens, people. I, I, it happened. Yeah,
2: I think we're good there. Unnecessarily, unnecessary fire lord action.
3: Yeah, it, things happen. Don't don't introduce your parents to your to your friends and your teachers. Bad things happen. I mean, Firelord has nothing to do with this story, and his inclusion is just because he happened
2: upon Eric the Red, who then just came up with a plan to say that Havoc and Polaris were were trying to kill him, which made Firelord his friend, so he could convince him to go help him kidnap Lalandra, who he knew was going to come show up to Professor X's mansion, and what the fuck is going on? <laughs>
3: The Fast and the Furious series has better plot points and storylines that are more concise and coherent than this. That
2: is factually true.
3: So anyway, we're on to issue 106, where you can't really see much from the, the cover except that, I guess... Angels in it we move on to the Issue and Professor X is somehow off His wheelchair and on the floor as Misty Knight Is still holding a revolver Against Firelord, Lord and he's like Do not play games with me human where Is Phoenix because apparently that's why He was here even though they didn't want to properly Explain earlier and Professor X is Like I told you Fire Lord why not Just call him dude or something why why address Him by his stupid name his made <laughs> up name And he's like she and the X-Men Are where you cannot reach them Transported by the Stargate Across infinity. Wow, he always talks like that. To save this universe, if they can, from absolute destruction. Charles, what the fuck do you know that we don't know?
2: That's what I want to ask. Yeah, why does he suddenly know that this is all about saving the universe from destruction? I guess because of his psychic link with Lelandra. That is just is just there for some reason.
3: Yeah. So all of a sudden, I mean, he just starts going into like this old man fit where his powers are getting all weird and Fire Lord's just like uh, he's crying out like is he in pain and Misty's like what do you care Buster you tried to kill him in God's name Fire Lord what gives you the right to just play judge jury and executioner we've done you no harm and you know Professor X because he's in his old man fit starts imagining that Misty is Moira so he's like getting the pseudo hots for her meanwhile we're on some type of like you know alien planet and some type of like weird danger room thunderdome thing where like wolverine is like you know doing like you know a ballet move avoiding flames and lasers while you know all colossus can really do is scream wolverine look out above you and they're they're just getting their asses kicked i don't feel like this x-men team ever actually really wins anything
2: no, I mean, in, in throughout this entire "quote unquote" saga, uh, they routinely get their asses handed to them until they happen to get away or escape, or the villain runs away, or Juggernaut jumps in the ocean, or Magneto declares triumph and takes off. I mean, they don't they don't really defeat anybody. They actually just get their asses handed to them.
3: Yeah. And I mean, Cyclops is a bit is a terrible leader, and I don't think he's ever actually been a good leader because he gets there and his first instinct is like pick a fight with Wolverine and Wolverine is just like you know man you you gotta like chill and scott keeps comparing them to his original x-men team and at this point wolverine's just pissed he's had it with this pipsqueak and he's like if anyone's gonna back off it's gonna be you cyclops all you've done is riding us all since thunderbird died thunderbird died and we don't talk about thunderbird anymore Mm -hmm. and um that's a whole thing. Anyway, hitting us with the old X-Men did it this way or they did it that way. Man, I'm sick of it. If we're edgy, it's because you won't get off our backs. And he's got, like, a really good point because now everyone is just shitting on Cyclops. And Banshee's just like, listen, man, like, we've got to, like, get our shit together.
2: Like <laughs> how Banshee says, like how Banshee says, it. he says, the midget, the midget has a point boil. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ban- the one thing I've gotten out of this is that I really enjoy the character of Banshee
3: Banshee while he, while he's, you know, all Irish and stuff and has weird powers. He's actually like the most mature person on the team. Yeah. Oh, by far, by far. He's the only one that's
2: kind of got his head on straight and doesn't just, uh, you know, flail about his powers without thinking about what's going on.
3: Yeah. And at this point, all the X-Men are trying to like chill out because Wolverine and Cyclops almost win each other's throats. And as they're just about to calm down, they turn around and they see who, they see Angel saying how quickly what? they forget how out of sight, out of mind means. Hey, eh? Psych, you've totally forgotten about me or something like that. And Cyclops is like, Angel, Warren, how did you get here? I thought you were out on the West Coast. And what are you doing in your old costume? And something's off because him and Cyclops start getting into it. And then they start fighting. And then Beast comes out. And Beast is in his old X-Men costume, the yellow and blue ones. But it's old white Beast without the blue furry hair. Yeah, like something something's a footmark, because next thing you know, Iceman comes out and like they're not even fighting. Like what these X-Men do is they just start, you know, transitioning to insults. So Iceman comes out and starts, you know, like insulting Storm. And then a Marvel girl, Jean Grey, in her old costume starts insulting Storm. So what we realize is that this is either like a time displaced thing or another robot thing or a clone thing. It's a because comics thing yeah and they all start fighting and and basically what ends up happening is um they they start fighting and the x-men can't land a punch on these people but wolverine eventually does and as all the original x-men are being the shit out of all the new x-men wolverine is basically able to tell that these aren't even people and the more they fight back the more things get worse for them eventually what we end up finding out is that this is Professor X having some type of old man psychic like (laughs) moment. And what he's done is he's, is he's created like physical projections of the original X-Men to somehow fight the new X-Men, but things get weirder because he starts like talking to himself. And then next, you know, out of nowhere, you like see this Ghoulish Professor X come out. And he's walking, and he's wearing a cape because bad guys wear capes. Oh, and he starts screaming, um, you know, uh, because of your benign mentors, not the mastermind of this entertainment, little man. It is I and. Cyclops is looking at him he's like that face It's Professor Xavier but so evil Because (laughs) because he's walking And screaming and he's wearing a cape and he's Like "What, what who are you and Evil X is like that's for Me to know fool suffice to Say that I am the deadliest foe you've Ever faced And Cyclops is just like I'm gonna laser you in the face So now all the X-Men Are now fighting evil Professor X But the only person that can really do that Is like real Professor X He's waking up and he sees what he's done And he goes ahead and just basically like Kills all the projections and stuff So now he's just like ah that was my evil self x-men the charles xavier who would use his powers for personal gain and conquest the mr hyde to my dr jekyll usually i have to keep my psyche in check but thanks to this cursed dream my mental controls are breaking down oh god am i going mad in my you know in my madness will i slay those i love the most basically since he's beginning these nightmares and stuff there's this other psychic force that's messing with them later i'll go ahead and spoiler we find out it's Because if you've been alive for 20 years and watched a couple of Phoenix movies, you could tell that shit type of stuff happens. But that's what's causing this. So he's been going crazy. He almost killed his X-Men using evil versions of himself and the original X-Men. And now he's worried he might accidentally kill them one day.
2: This is so weird.
3: Yeah. (laughs)
2: So, hey, here's the question. So is this is this weird, dark part of Professor X's psyche? Is that the same dark part of his psyche that later became half of Onslaught?
3: Listen, bro, this matters as much as the leprechauns do. Oh, man, I love the leprechauns. I want them to matter. They should come back in the MCU. If I ever get hired as a
2: Marvel writer, that's my pitch. I'm going to bring these (laughs) these leprechauns back.
3: Yeah, might as well so thoughts on this
2: issue um this is this is weird and stupid i hated it i I hate i hate any i hate like when characters show up that are obviously not the real characters and then they have to battle for 10 pages so we all figured out we already knew that they're obviously not the real characters that they're something else they're a projection or uh clones or they're robots or something this this i just i can't stand this trope and this this issue i think this is my least favorite issue that of all the ones that I've read so far other ones had more redeeming qualities that at least like I got got some chuckles out of me and I I, although I did I did get a chuckle of course out of out of the midget has a point boil but other than (laughs) that that's my one highlight of this issue this I mean I would definitely rate this the lowest of the ones we've been through so
3: far yeah that now on to 107 we've only got a couple issues left we can see from the cover that we're gonna be encountering the star jammers so anyway we're back and i just realized that entire fight in that last issue took place on this alien world that somehow professor x was able to project his mind to enable in order to fight create the evil versions of himself to fight them so like how this is this is dumb i'll say that it's dumb mark it's dumb it's dumb and Every issue so far, almost every issue so far
2: feels like an interlude. Like this whole thing, this whole saga feels like interludes, a series of interludes from the actual saga that we still haven't really gotten to. I still don't even know what the real Phoenix like story is yet.
3: Yeah. Anyway, we're we're back on. Some planet somewhere, and we see the x men who are seemingly recovered from almost being killed by their mentor and Now what we see is that uh there's this giant crystal in the middle of this layer, and we see the star jammers, and we see um the 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 what are the shear soldiers like the guardsmen or the protectors uh, or called? the star jammers right no no, no, oh, the she so gladiator uh gladiator
2: and and like the imperial guard
3: it's a yeah the imperial guard it's a legion of superheroes ripoff so we've got the we've got the imperial guard and then we've got some wolf person and other aliens and we've got eric the red holding lulandra star jammers are quite a quite a crew oh no they haven't arrived yet never mind i'm skipping ahead that's not them right there that's oh yeah
2: those are the imperial guard they're not here yet yeah that's all the uh, imperial guard which i say is they are they didn't at least they didn't make them generic. They really put in some effort to to give them very, very unique looking uh, identities
3: here. Yeah. So anyway, like I'm
2: trying to find the points where I can the high points.
3: Where yeah. I can. So so basically, they they show up and everyone's freaking out and you know Cyclops is like ah uh, let let's see if they'd rather talk than fight. Hey, you beings, because that's how you introduce yourself to alien species. Uh we're the X-Men from Earth. We've come to free the woman, Lelandra, <laughs> and Eric the Red. We, we've come for the. Uh, we've come for the woman, Lelandra, and Eric the Red. Why not just say we've come to save that princess yeah, of yours from exactly. the bad guy, Eric the Red? Because next thing you know, Gladiator comes out with his mohawk of awesomeness, and he's like, "Aliens! <laughs> I love how he calls them aliens. Aliens! <laughs> I am Gladiator." Praetor of the Imperial Guard, and you are surrounded by that guard and outnumbered. The princess you seek is a traitor to our empire and will be a prisoner. We will not give her up. So what ends up fight? What ends up happening? Like good leaders, they just end up fighting each other. And we've got the Imperial Guard and random Wolfman fighting Nightcrawler. It's a whole thing, and it's just it's just explosions for the sake of explosions. And I don't I don't like the art here. It feels just. It, it all feels so weird. Like none of it really matters. So they all just keep fighting and none of these people really matter except, you know, I do like that one, like dragon thing. Yeah, that that's there. And you know, Wolverine ends up getting hit on by some alien lady. And you know, that, that doesn't really work out because he ends up getting his like clothes burned off by somebody. So what he does is he fights the Wolfman person and he, he he takes his clothes. I'll just jump ahead a few pages. He yeah, takes his so clothes.
2: Weird, dude. But, well, first he gets his clothes burned off by by um, if fire lord wasn't enough, we have fire so That's why he burns Logan, uh, who of course lives because he's Wolverine, but it burns his costume off, and then that's why he takes the clothes of this weird, uh, this other weird creature guy.
3: Yeah. So basically, what we see here is that Eric the Red has been working with. <laughs> Ken, who's like the emperor of the Shiar empire and Eric the red's been working for him and they need to go ahead and bring Lalandra back because they are going to use this giant McCrayon crystal to go ahead and find that new alien force which turns out to be the phoenix force which was that sun flare thing way yonder back that we didn't even get to really talk about because it's not part of it even though it really is important to this but marvel editorial said it didn't matter even though it kind of does so basically eric red kidnaps princess for evil emperor brother because she knows how to activate some space crystal to go ahead and capture phoenix all you really need to know i think i got it mark
2: i think that's about a, as good a recap as we can as we can do without Heggs exploding
3: yeah and somehow i i don't I don't know how they really explain it. Do we know how Landra and Professor X know each other? No, they just have this psychic link.
2: And for, and they, that's why they recognize each other, because of this psychic link, which, as far as I can tell, is never actually explained, at least not here, why they have that.
3: Yeah, so they, they basically fight each other outside of like that, that Thunderdome thing. And Wolverine beat up Wolf Guy and he stole his clothes. So now he's back out and mad because he had to do a wardrobe change. He has <laughs> yeah, to wear this
2: ridiculous outfit now.
3: Yeah, and all of a sudden, just before uh, you know, the, the X-Men and the Landra are about to get killed by the Imperial Guard, the Star Jammers end up coming out and, and they look like, you know, a real ragtag, like they're like the they're they're like the MS thirteen of like space teams. <laughs> if like, you know, guardians of the galaxy is the bloods and like, let's say the Imperial guard are the Latin Kings, then like the star jammers are the MS 13, right? So they come here because they're friends of Philandra and they're here to save them. So they all start fighting and they end up actually defeating the Imperial guard, which is weird because the X-Men are so much more powerful.
2: And, and like no time to, in like two pages, they just beat them. And the X-Men couldn't do anything.
3: Yeah. But anyway, if somehow, some way, uh, De Ken was able to, who, who's the Emperor who sent his sister out for whatever and is now mad that she ran away because he wanted to turn on his crystal. He turns on the crystal and is sending out like this giant energy beam that's like freaking out people on Earth. So what we see is that somebody is calling over to the Fantastic Four, basically warning them that, you know, shit's about to go down and it's like a Galactus level threat and the Fantastic Four are the only ones that have been able to get rid of an energy force being this much. So it's something on the scale of Galactus who could devour a world. So it's a big fucking deal.
2: Yeah, and and right before that, I want to point out there's uh this panel where like Corsair is talking to uh, to uh Jean, and Jean's like, hmm, American slang and accents this far from home. I've heard of coincidence, but this is... Re- I don't know, that's a terrible... I'm not trying to do her voice or anything. I've heard of coincidence, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Uh, I'd, I'd better do a fast mind scan just to make sure we're in for no surprises. And then she says, no, it can't be, but... Scott no it is him This is all in her mind so this is when we're, we're Getting the first hint of what she will Reveal I think in the
3: next issue Daddy's back Daddy's uh, That's the end of this one Mark any thoughts
2: yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Uh there's just like every every issue there's I mean this one particularly there's there's too many new characters in this issue. Like the whole the, the the entire Imperial Guard and then the entire the entirety of the Star Jammers. Um and yeah, it's a lot to take in before we move on to issue 108 uh in which I'd like to point out this is where the art changes up. This is when we transition to John Byrne as Eric mentioned earlier.
3: John Byrne knows how to draw Storm, Mark. He knows how to draw
2: Storm. He does, and he he really got in at the right time, man. They're like, here's here's eighty new characters we need you to draw. Get on, make in there, it. make it work, fam. And I, I will say that to me, uh, this you um, know, to me, Dave Cockrum's artwork was was touch and go, but I, I to me, John Byrne's work is a is a is a market improvement.
3: No, I, ab- absolutely. Like they're like he's good, but Byrne is. There's a reason why they allowed him to reconstruct Superman post-crisis. Indeed. So anyway, we're, we're back on that. Odd planet somewhere and everyone is Freaking out because the McCrane crystal has been Activated uh, they're all Running towards it trying to figure out what the hell Is happening and meanwhile We're back on earth all the Governments of the world are trying to figure out what's Going on we see Jimmy Carter Captain America Mr. Fantastic And uh, you know at this point Like they don't know who to call in because the Fantastic Four are freaking out and they're calling the Avengers and we see uh, Beast Who was at the who was with the Avengers At the time he's talking to Mr. Fantastic and a few other government agents and captain america and black panther are there and wasp and yellow jacket are there and they're all freaking out like they actually think like damn like if reed richard's the smartest man on earth doesn't know what to do and all this shit's happening and they're calling us so and we don't know what to do like shit's about to go down indeed yeah we
2: just it's basically just an excuse to give us a bunch of cameos from the fantastic four and and the avengers including uh old x-men friend beast and uh yeah they, they pretty much don't matter for the rest of
3: this though. Yeah, now, now we're going back to the Star Jammer ship, and I don't understand what's going on with this guy named Jaff. <laughs> I love who's this Who's part guy. of the Guardians of the Gate into Eternity, and basically, like... Yeah, he's the Guardian. He's basically guarding the entrance to this crystal thing. So this little, like, you know, Furby creature <laughs> thing starts fighting everybody, and... Because if you haven't caught it at this point, these X-Men kind of suck. He ends up basically kicking all their asses. Yeah. Like no problem at all. Like he looks like something from damn. What What is it? The dark crystal? Yes. That's, exa- that's exactly what I was thinking. He looks like the little furry things. Not, not the sketsies or stexies. Like he looks like, he looks like one of the characters, little, little, like, you know, the, the little people thing. Yeah. yeah. Things where they called, they're not hobbits those things mark the, the things gelflings. the gelflings. gelflings yeah so you know the only way to actually like fight this guy is for banshee to literally get in his face and, and they don't they, in his face. they don't they don't show that he killed him but it's highly implied that he literally blew his face apart yeah we, we see it from the other angle but uh I mean, we don't see from him again. So,
2: eh. and then Cyclops is all smiling about it. He's just like, you took one hell of a risk, pal. Uh, but uh, you killed that little bastard. He didn't say that, but
3: illegal no but highly unethical i approve (laughs) brought to you by cyclops but that's not it because we have a second guardian Remzo. oh yeah we've got this guy (laughs) who's literally called mott the second guardian or
2: no you're right oh that was a d you're right it is
3: mott he's a kaiju he's a giant robot kaiju and he jumps up and as if things haven't gotten any better uh you know they just go ahead and make you know quick work of him because apparently he's less dangerous than the the little Gelfling creature. So they go ahead and get in. And what happens is they all start getting visions from the crystal. But Jean Grey is the one who's able to even catch glimpses of other people's minds and the past and the future and basically everything. So Jean is starting to freak out. And what she's able to basically understand is that this, the, the 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 crystal has like its own conscience, but it's on the same energy level as her and her new phoenix powers. So the only way to actually absorb the power that the crystal is admitted is to go full phoenix. Uh, somehow we're back on Earth, and we only get <laughs> to see any other things explode. But the Jean Greyhouse, but the Grey household is basically screwed up, and you know we've got Professor X and the Greys and Misty still with their six shooter because that could help them. And uh, what ends up happening is jean gray basically once again has to take in all the power of the crystal kind of like what she did eight issues ago where she took the power from the quote solar flare so what she ends up doing is she ends up saving everybody taking the power of the crystal to at least dull its effects while at the same time activating a portal that can get them all back to new york meanwhile fire lord is like you know cool now they all freak out when they see him they're like fire lord on your toes x-men and phoenix is like oh no cyclops i'm done with fighting If fire lord wants my life it's his for the taking because that's what you do when you just prove to be the most powerful being in the universe right and what does fire lord do because apparently this is all a bunch of misconceptions he's like you do not need to fear me x-men in short time you were gone xavier explained how i was deceived i've stayed to guard the stargate until your return and who comes that behind him, Lalandra, because apparently, even though she saved existence, she's still a, a fugitive because her brother, the Emperor De, uh, De Ken, lived. So, you know, she comes over and. You know she runs over to her, her psychic links lover, something Professor X, and he's like, Londra, how are you? Why? I thought I'd never see you again. <laughs> like, like,
2: they just met, like, he, he all she was was the creepy vision he saw in his nightmares. For and now he's like, Oh my hey, god, man. I missed you so much.
3: <laughs> if, if the psychic link sexy alien lady came down and was totally <laughs> into you, there are worse things. But basically, she's like, Um. You know, you will not be rid of me so easily, Charles Xavier. What happened with them? The Macron crystal drove my brother incurably insane, almost catatonic, and he has no wife or children. By law, I should lead him. But I led a rebellion against the empire, and by the same law, I am condemned a traitor. Yet what I did was right. The high council knows this. So once they iron out the legal wrinkles, it's funny how she suddenly knows like earth lingo, um, they will summon me home. But till then, my dearest love, I am exiled here on earth. I am yours because all the dialogue goes all over the place between her being an alien and talking like an earthling. And what do all the X-Men and everyone else do? They stand in the shadows. And I do want to go ahead and and um, uh, mention this. This is at the very bottom of the last page in the last panel. This book is dedicated with respect and admiration to Dave Cockrum, who helped make the dream a reality. And then it says I'm not dead, Dave Cockrum.
2: Yeah, I. I did and that's enjoy the that.
3: end of the. And that's the end of the Phoenix saga.
2: I guess it is. <laughs> I guess it was a saga of sorts. Uh, it, it seemed more like six filler issues and then a weird space battle that made no sense. But I guess we can t- call it a saga. Should we move into our ratings?
3: Yeah, I'll I'll go first with this one, Mark, because I don't have much to say. I think I p- pretty much put it out all, all on the field there. Um, <laughs> this story's bad, okay? Like even as self-contained single issues, the transitions into each other aren't good. And even though this was really supposed to be the beginning of a new X Men team, we've seen them for around twenty issues prior, so it's not good for new readers at all and even for old and even for like senior seasons readers it's extremely difficult so i'm giving this the story everything about it i'm giving it a 2.5 and for the art i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a 3.5 because it's not bad it's just it just feels smushed at certain points i don't like feeling like i'm uh, you know like, like i like i'm you know tight with my artwork or anything like it's good but there are certain parts that seemed lazy and maybe it's a it's a thing from the silver age that i don't often like with some of the panel work but it's not it's not great i could pull out other stuff like um uh who, who's the guy who did who's the guy who did uh, george perez george perez is out there at this time george Uh, John Byrne had just finished Superman Man of Steel like they're really good artists so by the standard Dave Cockrum is good but not that great I'm giving it a 3.5 for a total score of a six
2: all right well let's see here I it's so hard for me to you know it's weird because sometimes guys have name value. Like Chris Claremont is a classic X Men writer, truly. I, you can't take anything away from him. He made the X Men very much what they are today uh, in every way, shape, and form. But uh, yeah, like I said, this is disjointed. It's all over the place. Uh, I had moments of enjoying the dialogue. That's about some of the dialogue, but I'm probably enjoying a lot of it for the
3: wrong reasons. Like, it, just because it's cheesy. Like, like. <laughs> It's like if the writers of South Park were given an X-Men comic, but they had never read the X-Men. Yeah,
2: and just just yeah, that, that's that's actually a pretty good summary. Uh, yeah, and and just little stuff like um, you know, I love Banshee's little quip at at Wolverine and and the weird dialogue that Wolverine has in his head about Jean Grey. Little stuff like that. The enjoyment is not necessarily probably the enjoyment that I'm supposed to be getting out of it per se. So, uh, this is a long winded way for me to say that I I, I can't you know if i if i remove chris, chris claremont's name from this i'm really not rating it highly and i think that's the only fair way to judge it to not Lift the score because of his name, so I'm only going to give the writing a two here, man. I I, I can't go much higher because the the only enjoyment I got out of it was through just little lines here and there that are are making me laugh, and I'm not even sure they were written to make me laugh. So I, I'm giving the writing a two. Um, I'm going to be a little softer on the art. I, I thought the art was um, average or two, uh, probably I would say silver age average. Um, and and I I want to judge it on a little bit of a curve, but um, you know. I let's see i i will give i'm going to pick up the art i'm going to call the art a 2.5 and i'm going to give it a slight wow. upgrade. i'm going to give it an upgrade to a three because of john burns one issue which i do think was a, a major improvement over dave Cockrum. um that only brings me to trademark and copyright this is like a fuck you five <laughs> for me renzo trademark copyright weird science comics we have not had a fuck you five
3: in a long time I, I wouldn't
2: really rate it I mean I, I'm saying that Just because I came to five I, I wouldn't put this In the same category As uh, an FE5 uh, You know patented By our friends At the Weird Tigers Comics podcast um, It's it's not fuck you Levels of bad But it's It's it, deserve, it doesn't deserve More than that So
3: I'm giving it a five I understand I, I, I really do That being um, said That yeah. being said I would encourage People to read it <laughs> I would, I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think this is, I don't think this is important, like at all. Not
2: important. I I would just, well, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't encourage, but I mean. I I, I, I
3: will say, I will say this, like Claremont wrote Dark Phoenix Saga. I think Byrne was around for that. Dark Phoenix Saga is a drastic improvement in storytelling and everything compared to this. And I think that's where I had a lot of my uh, expectations set up because I remember I've read the dark Phoenix saga twice. I read it like a couple years ago and I read it when I was a kid for the first time, I think when I was like 12. So I had really high standards for it. So to read this, you know, really for the first time, because I don't think I ever read this all the way through years back. It's not good. Yeah, well, I do
2: think Eric is going to be having us do uh, the Dark Phoenix portion of the uh, the larger Dark Phoenix saga for his next Kirby Club in a couple of months. Uh, so, so time will tell on that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I only say I recommend reading it. I'll say this. I recommend reading it if you have Marvel Unlimited. They're short issues. They're only like <laughs> 18 pages because they, they pull out all the ads that, that ran in all these Silver Age comics. I mean, it goes by pretty quick. And if you haven't had much of a dive into absurd Silver Age stories... This is an absurd Silver Age story, and uh, I mean it, it's it's pretty much as absurd as you can get. Introducing like thirty new freaking characters in like in like the span of uh, a couple issues here, and just throwing every damn villain at us uh, randomly that we can. And um, I mean, I I got enough enjoyment out of how sort of it was it was good bad in some ways to me. Not enough to I, I didn't necessarily need all eight issues of it, but um, I don't know. I did I I didn't. Like I said, I gave it a five. I'm not calling it good at all, but I I didn't hate myself for reading it. Like I enjoyed the Silver Age kind of cheesiness of it in its own way, I
3: guess I could say. I can understand it. I'm just glad I don't have to read it again. I'm still giving it a lower score
2: than you. So I, <laughs> I, I, I'm still being harder on it, but overall, but I, you know, you know me, I, I, like, I'm the one that tortures myself with Jonathan Hickman stories that I don't understand. So I'm the one that takes perverse pleasure out of reading things that aren't necessarily good. So it's kind of with that in mind that I, that I recommend it for anybody that has a similar mindset.
3: Are you upset that they never put anything from like none of these elements and like X-Men, the last stand or X-Men, dark Phoenix imagine them trying
2: to cram the the uh, imperial guard the shiar lalandra the star jammers maybe fire lord and all that Uh, leprechauns i can't say i i am upset we haven't seen the leprechauns we haven't seen banshee and black tom and the leprechauns that's that's what i want to see in an x-men film listen up marvel execs listen up kevin feige we know you're listening
3: well that's all i got mark That's it for our first monumental Kirby Club edition of the show.
2: Indeed. If you want to be like my good friend Eric and you want to torture us with Silver Age Madness, uh, then you too can become a Kirby Club level supporter for as little, not as little, for exactly as $50 a month. Uh, But of course, you can join the Patreon for much less than that, as little as $5 a month. You get access to all of our bonus audio content, all of which I ran through at the top of the show. So I'm not going to bore you. I'm not going to do it again. You heard it once. All I will say is, please. Remzo's got a wedding coming up. He's got to build his profile. Uh, he's got a lot to get together and uh, you yeah, know, might be a good idea to leave us a five-star rating and a great review. Maybe toss a couple bucks on Patreon, but that's all I got.
3: As always, folks, thank you again. Come one can all. We'll be back next week. As always, read comics, change the world. Change the world. Good night, America.